everybody. Welcome back to the WYL Take Ownership Podcast, where we're all about taking ownership of your mental, your economics, and your community. Um, I'm joined today by Don Dixon, uh, CEO of Popcom and founder, um, and also founder of Flat Out of Heels, um, and also inventor, investor, all the above. Um, it's a pleasure to have you today. Yay! Thanks for having me, my friend. I'm excited. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the first time we're connecting in a, in a little bit of time. We, we usually see each other in better cadences over the years, but, it, you know, so much of life is moving. But I'm happy to, to reconvene right here today. Um, topic for today is raising capital through the screen. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about that and keep you guys abreast. Um, as, as John pointed out, um, you know, if you have any questions, drop them in the chat. Um, he's going to be helping us sort through them. We'll, we'll speak to them. We're going to keep an even flow, so, you know, as to not be really choppy in delivery. Um, but we will address the questions throughout. Um, and at the end, what we've done, even in the first episode, is we kind of did a rapid-fire session, um, if there are any questions left that we haven't addressed yet. Um, so, without further ado, we'll jump right in. First, I'll start off by introducing myself. For folks that have joined the first two times, you've heard from some of this spiel before. Every time, maybe it's a little bit different. But I am CEO. I am an actor. I am a model. I, I just try to do it all. God's given me a lot of gifts, and so I try to make sure that I make them pop as much as I can. Um, short story on me is I'm a two-time founder now. Um, Who's Your Landlord is my second business. Founded my first business in college called Untap, which was a brand development firm. I am CEO and founder of Who's Your Landlord, WIL.co. We're, we're all about empowering and informing the rental community through landlord reviews, housing literacy content, and software for real estate developers to better understand and engage their residents. Um, in terms of my, my acting and modeling days, uh, I've been on the Today Show a bunch of times, done New York Fashion Week a bunch of times, worked with companies like uh, Nike, Facebook, um, you know, all kinds of companies, um, Starbucks even, but that's not cool anymore. So that's where I'm at. Uh, and I'm going to, what I'll do is I'm going to switch over to Dawn and have Dawn introduce herself. But before she does, I want to highlight uh, Dawn is the first ever black woman to raise over a million dollars in a secured token equity crowdfund. Any color. Any woman of any color. All right, I'm sorry. Now, let me not even minimize to, to just one thing, right? <laughs> any woman of any color. And you've now done it twice. So, you know, uh, Donna is definitely the right person to, to know in regard to raising capital through the screen, quite literally. Um, and also, we're going to riff a bit about, to the, the normal VC structure, the normal angel investing structure, because she's also very privy to that for her previous businesses as well. So we'll touch on every single angle of it as much as we can in this time that we have together tonight. Um, but without further ado, uh, Donna, I'll, I'll pass it off to you to introduce yourself to the crew at home. Welcome to everyone here. Thanks for joining. Um, I would consider myself a serial entrepreneur and an inventor. That's really what I call myself because after 20 years of being an entrepreneur and I've done so many things and my companies have all done well. So that's where I, that's where I put myself. But right now, you know, my focus is Popcom and we're building some really cool technology. I can't wait to talk more about that, but um, just here to be a resource. You know, I have accomplished many things in my entrepreneurial career, a lot of media, but at the end of the day, I think I'm most proud of just like the tenacity. Media is easy mm -hmm. to get, but being, staying in the game and, you know, never giving up, that's what makes you real. You don't need the media, you know, at the end of the day, it's about mm -hmm. the, the revenue anyway. So I look forward to chopping it up more. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I got to say, it's been awesome to watch the growth of your businesses um, and also too, you know, the growth of your team as well. You know, I, I just love that, you know, because it's it, 
I think we don't, we don't, entrepreneurship has started to become glamorized and not started in terms of recent history. This is more of the last decade or so. Um, and, you know, what's often forgotten is how important it is to be able to lead a team effectively and to have a team that's really dope and, and wants to work together and do it in a very great way. So it's also cool to see that emanating through the pores of Popcom and what you've done here. Um, and so all that stuff, guys, we're going to touch on today as we flow through. Um, but again, to, to Don's point, you use it as a resource. That's why we're here. My first slide says congrats, because I wanted to congratulate you on the most recent um, equity crowd fundraise you did. Thanks. Another million plus. So kudos to you. This just happened like a month ago, y'all. So I don't even know. Has it been a month yet? It's just no. about a month. Almost a month, but we did it in 47 days, which was, I mean, in the middle of the, the pandemic. Of COVID. It was amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Really, really great stuff. Uh, Awe-inspiring, to say the least. Um, and again, just reiterates why, you know, I wanted Dawn to talk about this topic in this series. So you guys will get a, a lot of information. Um, keep that notepad out. You're on a computer type of way. Um, and, 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 be, and feel free to ask questions, right? Like to, the reality is folks at home right now really are all across the range of entrepreneurs. Some folks are, are thinking about being an entrepreneur. Some folks aren't, but just are interested in the idea. Some folks are in the process, maybe they're a year or two into their business. And some folks may be further down the line and just want to come and learn more information. Um, because like I always say to my team, in order to work here at Who's Your Landlord and in order to do anything anywhere, I think you have to be addicted to learning. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm loving that people here have that insatiable feeling and want to make sure they're learning a lot and, and we'll, we'll make sure you get some stuff out of this tonight. Um, first thing I want to touch on, and you touched on it already, Don, but, it, you know, investing in the time of COVID-19, you know, I, I spent time talking to a lot of VCs. I have mentors in that space as well. And you know, when COVID really hit, and I'll, I'll focus it on the U.S. for now, um, that first real month, March, April, and maybe even a little bit into May, a lot of VCs or venture capitalists stopped investing. Um, and they, they looked inward. They started looking at their portfolios. How can they provide some bridge financing to get you through to the next round or to get you through while there's no customers? So as a result, you know, if you were going out into the market looking to raise funding, it was hard, you were hard pressed to get it. Um, and even for our company personally, like we were thinking about raising capital at that time and kind of worked out where we ended up raising now, we're raising at the end of this whole kind of period. But, um, and I say end in terms of the end of the moratorium that VCs put out there, not end of COVID, it's still a thing, so please still stay home and be respectful of others with the mask. But um, that being said though, you know, VCs really had to, had to look inward and make sure their companies were right before they were able to then talk about, how do I get comfortable enough for the founders through a screen where I, whom I've never met before to then cut a check to this founder. Usually you're meeting over coffee, over drinks, su subsequently, like, so over and over again, you're connecting with these folks and then eventually arriving at the finish line. So that being the case for you, Dawn, like, how are you thinking about, um, and mind you, I will break down for folks at home too. We'll get into the nitty gritty of the differences between online equity crowdfunding and, um, and you know, angel investing or VC. But just for you, Dawn, what were you, how are you thinking about that going into the process of raising during this pandemic? Well, you know, the thing is, like, I, I was already working on raising before. I mean, everything kind of hit us within like a one week time as far as severity. It was like, I remember I was out to eat on March 14th and then I, on my phone it was like you can't go out to eat anymore as of midnight tonight so we were already in the process we were already getting ready to raise money um you know we were experiencing delays which I'll talk to talk about that later all of the the challenges but 
it just happened to happen at that time. And I didn't want to slow it up. And my instinct told me that it was actually a great time to raise money when people are at home and paying attention and not going out to eat and not doing the things that they would be doing with their disposable income and looking for ways to have security in their lives as individuals when jobs are now uncertain and when, you know, they don't know where their money's coming from. This is the time when people are starting to feel like, how can I create wealth? How can I invest in something? How can I get my side hustle? How can I start that business? So it sparked that. And that I see the bright side. I'm like a glass half full type of person. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think you, you have to be and have to inter- in order to be tenacious and in order to get things done effectively, um, that plays into it. And so what I'll ask you to do too, as, as we talk through some of these topics is, a lot of them will, will just be, I think, um, you know, knowledge to provide to the audience, but also to take yourself back to when you were first starting, like the entrepreneurial journey. Um, and I know, you know, we met, I think, in 2014, 2015, around that time. So, you know, obviously you were already into the entrepreneurial game, but you could use that as a snapshot in history or you can go back further. Um, but just to give folks a range as to like how to approach these things in the different stages of their business um, as best as you can. That's, that's what we'll, we'll, we'll kind of flow with tonight. Yeah. Um, but first, just some preliminary things, um, you know, what the idea of what is equity, um, equity is the ownership you have in any entity, right? So, um, you know, you think of your business as like 100% pie. Um, and over time, if you do take on capital, what you tend to do if it's investment capital versus grant capital is you tend to give away equity over time for the money put into your business. Um, as a founder, you tend to have sweat equity, um, meaning you've, you've worked your tail off, you've literally sweat for what you have. Um, and, and with your team members, you can, what we usually call vesting, um, a vesting agreement. Oftentimes, somebody joins a team that's very, very valuable. Um, and depending on the time frame as, of it as well, um, in terms of how you wanna introduce this, you have a vesting schedule, which means there's usually a one-year cliff. You have to be at the company for at least a year to prove that you're going to be there long-term. And post that, you, you accrue one-fourth or whatever your vesting schedule is. If it's two years, customarily it's four years. But you accrue one-fourth of that equity over that period of time until you have your, your shares. Um, and the, the idea there is you want to ensure people are in it for the long haul. Um, so usually for full-time hires, who have proven that they're really, you know, into the business, into the long-term vision. That's a conversation that eventually gets broached with the, with the CEO or with the founding team. Um, for, for you, Dawn, you know, what, what is the word equity come to represent for you? Um, and how do you look at it through the lens of, of taking on outside investment as well? Yeah, and I just love your breakdown. You sound so educated. I just love you for that. You know, we had to learn that the hard way. Did anybody yeah, yeah. Down and break that down to you like that? <laughs> Nobody ever broke that down to me like that. I had to learn the hard way when I was a bit about to get my equity taken from me. And I'm like, what does this mean? So, so real, so real. Yeah, so I think for me, equity, um, it, meant, it means control. But then I learned, you know, as we learn, that not only is the equity, but it's also the the class and the rights mm-hmm. to vote. So you know that's how you see founders getting uh, voted out of their company and fired yeah. because of their because you may have the most equity, but you don't have the most control. So maintaining both equity, ownership, and control is important. And as you start to get more investors, you may very well go down to you know it happens to these very large scale scalable companies. A founder could be down to thirty twenty. 10% depending on how much money they raise. But if you still have controlling 
earn those controlling votes and those different, you know, classes of share that allows you to, you can still um, drive the vision, you know. So the way I look at equity is when you talk about the pie, it's a great example because a lot of people will get nervous and say, you know, oh my God, I don't want to give up um, mm -hmm. this much. I don't want to give up my company. And I used to think that way too when it came to like, I want to have 50%. Right. But I said, listen, I can bring in some strategic investors that will turn my percentage in value worth way more than it will be in value mm -hmm. as far as price per share than it will be if I hold on to it and don't take money and not only money, but money and resources. I don't take money from people that can't also help me move forward because at this point we need more than money and, and basically all startups need more than money. You need someone to help guide you, make introductions for you, help you get customers, investors, because they want so much in the early stages, they have to work, they have to work for that. So right. I will, I look very, I'm very particular about who I allow to invest in my company and who I want to share that, that pie with me. But I also, and I also weigh what can they bring to the table. So I'd say to founders, don't be worried about giving, giving up mm -hmm. uh, shares and your percentage as long as you keep control and understand what you're going to get and if, you know, by giving it up, and if that equates to the value of your company increasing, you're still winning because now right. your, your shares are worth more. So now my shares are worth, oh my gosh, my, when I started taking money from crowdfunding, my, my last round was at a maybe 3 million and now it's 25 million. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. my shares are worth much more than they were worth at a 3 million valuation. Yeah. Hey, no, that, that's exactly the point, you know, and, and I'd love for you to unpack too, you know, I'm sure there's been situations where you walked away from money um, or walked away from an investor because they, they, they didn't sit right on your spirit or they just literally didn't sit right. Like logically, they, they were just not really the right investor. Um, you know, I, I, I always highlight for us as a firm, you know, we've raised $1.3 million. We're raising capital now. So we're going to do more than that. I've walked away from easily as much money like easily yes. um, where there's been an opportunity there, but the the investor is not right or they want you to change your business completely. Yes. Um, and so I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit too. Like in your experience, what are some of the reasons you've walked away from the table when investors put a sizable check in front of you? I walked away when um, I felt like I was being a token investment, which has happened to me before. Like They'll, they'll invest a little bit in me so they can put me on brochures and websites and feature me <laughs> and things and say, we have a black person. Here she is, the woman. So I have to go look and say, what are you actually doing for your, for your portfolio companies? And do you really align? And can any of your partners or anyone that you have, can they help me move forward? Or, you know, do I like you? Like, as a person, do I want to invite you to my, um, you know, our, our popcom events that we have, and my team is very close and everyone is mm -hmm. close. So it's like, will you fit with our culture as an investor? Do I want to deal with you? Um, and a lot of times that's no, you know, I don't get, if I don't get a good vibe, I'm just like, I'm straight. And I also, you know, they try to get me to do a down round. I'm not doing a down round. You know, I know what I'm worth. I, I know what this business, me as the leader and my team and our IP, I know what we're worth. And you can just never convince me otherwise. So mm -hmm. I walked away from money when they wanted more favorable terms. I've walked away from money when they wanted to exercise preferred shares. There's no preferred shares on my cap table. We have common stock. Everyone gets it. I tell them, you can eat with us, but you will not eat before us. Right. We are working every day. I appreciate the risk you're taking, 
by investing your money, it's a risk. And yes, we're going to go work for it because we're risking our whole lives for this. Right. So you're going to eat with us and we're going to be good. But some investors want preferred shares. They want board seats. I do not allow investors on my board. No. So I've walked away from money because I have my own terms. And it's so mm -hmm. important to understand. I did a talk on a little piece on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. You can negotiate term sheets. Everything mm -hmm. is negotiable. You do not have to take what's put in front of you. And a lot of us get so excited. Oh my God, they want to give me money, including me and my first check from VC. <laughs> they got eight percent of my business for $30,000. Can you believe that? My company's worth $25 million. They got 8%. It got diluted, but they still have a chunk for $30,000. Don't do that. Ever. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's a, but that's a, those are great points. Like, I mean, part of what you're getting at too, in terms of when I've seen that kind of equity take, it's usually from an accelerator of some kind, an accelerator. Accelerator fund. Yeah, accelerator. yeah. Where they take some, you know, egregiously high amount and, and their argument would be that they're bringing a lot of value. But what you realize is you're part of a farm system. Um, and mind, I say that as somebody who's gone through accelerators. So I don't say it in a bad way for all of them. There's some that negotiate terms with you, Quake Capital, shout out to them. Um, and, and there's some that, that don't, that are a little bit more restricted and I won't shout out any of them. Um, and I think that in that regard, you know, one thing I will, I will put the caveat out there for everyone at home, some of the information you receive tonight will be applicable to your business and some you won't, you, you won't agree with and that's completely fine. Like even uh, between you and I, Don, I say between you and I, as we talk to all these people, <laughs> between you and I, <laughs> um, my feeling right now is if, if old white guys are cutting checks because they feel bad about what's happening in the world, I will gladly take those wet checks with those tears and cash it. Now, I know you don't feel the same way. Nope. I completely understand. But oh, my thing is, yeah, I know you are. And I've seen your tweets. I understand it. So that's why I bring it up. My thing is this, like, if the person's heart is not in the right place, that's something that I'm going to vibe and, and find out in, in conversating with them. But if, if it's someone who's, you know, who hasn't shown up, but their heart isn't in the wrong place, to me, that, that money is what I look at as like rinsing the money. You know what I mean? Like you can literally take that and do good with it, invest it in good places. And realize too, folks, investors, investors are investing in good investors. Like as an entrepreneur, one of the things I think that's not talked about enough is what investors want to see how you're going to execute this capital and put it in play once they give it to you. And that could be in human resources, so people that you're hiring. That could be in strategic alignments and partnerships. That can be in so many different ways. So, you know, we, we, we all fixate on like projections and how it can get to 100 million in revenue, whatever the case is. We all fixate on like, you know, the, the next shiny thing or the press, you know, line that says, so such and such raises $50 million. We all like look at those things. But in reality, it's like, how do you take this check and reinvest it across your organization for it to grow exponentially? Like, that's really what an investor is buying into. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like, look, I, I have my opinion on that. I'd love to, I want people at home to also learn your opinion on it too, because I think it's very, very valid. Um, it is. And my, so if you want me to share my little opinion, my opinion about this, <laughs> and it's really like this, which listen, all I said was on Twitter, Don Dixon and Popcom do not want your money. But that leaves plenty of other companies that will take it and that want it. And if that's what they want to do, cool. But again, I just explained why I'm particular about where I take money from. Mm -hmm. Your wet check is no good here because <laughs> it doesn't come from a place of authenticity. If you are just now realizing today when a man got to get his neck nailed on and shot jogging and whatever, to realize that black founders, we're talking about 
educated experts like that we deserve to be invested in it takes like somebody to get killed for you to say we've been here we're not my type of person because we're not you're not tapped in you're you're definitely definitely in the dark and you're in denial and so like i said we're a close family we're like-minded people i don't want to deal with you i don't want to have to talk to you report to you i don't want to hear your opinion we're not even going to be friends if you just now realized what black people in america go through you're not even mm -hmm. good enough to be my friend that's how i feel but take the money and put it into people that need it, my community, you know, my, my colleagues, my peers, please. I personally do not need it. I've proven it. Yeah. I'm about to prove it again. So it's like, I spoke for myself saying we, the community has our back. I can never speak for the entire black delegation because everybody has not and, been able to tap into mm -hmm. crowdfunding how I have. So it's unfair. So, certainly, and, but and that's why, but that's why I, I like the diversity of thought, right? Because again, we're not a monolith, right? As founders, we're not a monolith as people. Um, there, there are executable ways that we go about building our businesses. And the only thing, and you and I talked about this personally as well. The only thing we ever ask of any of ourselves as peers is, you do what's right for you. You know what I mean? Like, can you sleep well at night? You know, um, are you doing it for the right reasons? Um, because we also know founders who have found themselves in, in kind of tenuous situations, to put it lightly, um, because they took the wrong check um, or because they gave up voting rights, right? Like, pers yep, okay, personally, right? So, um, you know, a lot of what we're, gonna, what we're talking about is from a collection of years of experience in entrepreneurship. It's, there's no linear path. It's like the path that's right for you. They're just glimpses of pieces of our path that come together. Um, and so I mean, the question I have here is, you know, what impact does raising capital have on your equity? Um, I'll, I'll start by just saying, you know, thinking, thinking of it this way, you know, you, you mentioned earlier the idea of, you know, you go from being worth $3 million in terms of the business and now 25 million plus. Um, there, there's an adage that, you know, 100% of nothing is 0%. Um, and so, and, and, or I'm sorry, is $0, right? 100% of yeah. nothing is $0. And so that, that's very important to understand because there is, I think, a common fear in the early stages of if I give up too much of my company, um, will it be, will I be giving that ownership up? Um, and, and now I, I have to work with this person in some capacity. And the reality is, Oftentimes in the beginning, if you're not making sales, if you're not building IP, if you're not building a, a very strong product, like your business isn't really worth all that much. No one's looking at the sweat equity you put in. They're looking at the value you beget yeah. with the sweat equity you put in. So that's what everyone's looking at. And I remember it was it was Jewel Burks, um, founder of Part Picks, sold to Amazon. Now she's the, the head of Google for startups. Um, you know, who, on a, this is a private phone call some years ago. I reached out and I was like, hey, look, like, you know, we're looking at raising capital. What should what should we be thinking about in terms of this this preceded amount of capital? And she was breaking down for me the tranches of you don't want to give up more than this in this this round, this in this round, this in this. And that's how you have to be thinking about it. And usually the rule of thumb in terms of VC world scalable tech businesses is you, you don't want to be giving up more than 20 to 25 percent of your company in a seed round of funding. Um, because realize you're only going to be diluted after that. And still, even if the value of your company is increasing over time, do you feel comfortable waking up and only owning 5% of your company that you built from the ground? That right. investors got to just put in a check and get to sit higher up on the ranks than you. That becomes a, a battle with within, 
Um, and if you can imagine, if you're the CEO and founder sitting at 5%, what are your co-founders sitting at if you have co-founders? What is the rest of your team sitting wow. at? It's usually a, nothing. Um, you know, so even if it can be in mind, if you're Facebook, that can still, nothing can turn into like, I now have like a hundred million in the bank. Right. But to be mindful, most companies are not Facebook, right? In terms of their growth trajectory. So, uh, Don, you know, your, what are your thoughts in terms of, from a psychological standpoint, how raising capital affects the cap table, um, as our homie John would always talk about, like the cap table, um, and also to, uh, you know, how, how, is it, how is it affected literally by your business and raising capital? Um, yeah, so first, you know, I would say just everybody stay, kind of try to stay away from like non-dilutive uh, stock agreements. So that way, when everyone, when you dilute down, so you have this, like he said, this, this pie, you have maybe in the beginning, you have four shares because it's like you, your co-founder, a few people, then it, you, you make more shares. So everybody's piece is smaller. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, first really have an idea of how, like Ofo said, how far you want to go down with that, with that pie and where you see yourself at the end of this, uh, on that journey. But for me, like I said, I always think about it as how can the people I take money from help me move forward. Um, selling the equity, it, it was challenging to wrap my mind around, you know, around having people in on the business and all of those things. But I think psychologically, it's just like, do you have the right people with you? Jewel had the same conversations with me. You know, she mentored many of us and shared her uh, experiences both negative and positive with us to try to help us to avoid to make some of the mistakes and that I feel like all of our responsibility each one teach one and so she also shared with me like find another way to raise money she blatantly said like don't go after VC money if you don't have to find another way I'm like what other way she's like I don't know find another way <laughs> make I can money. picture her saying that yeah. <laughs> find another way anything anything and Jewel actually is an angel investor. And when she exited and sold to Amazon, she actually made a personal um, investment in, in Popcom. And I feel like that's also our responsibility mm -hmm. to reach back and do the same, do the same thing. So, um, you know, definitely given equity impacts you raising capital. But if you really shape these agreements, and I'm not telling you do what I do. I'm not a lawyer. I can't give legal advice. But I have common stock, all common stock, couple different classes. One's a voting class, which I own all of them. And then there's another class for everybody else. And there's no, you know, uh, I have one agreement that's semi non-dilutive, which I didn't know any better back then, or I wouldn't have done that. Um, but if you really pay attention to just how you structure these agreements, it won't really come back to hurt you. Now, I know several founders that gave up voting rights that brought investors on the board and these investors actually crippled them and mm -hmm. prevented them from being able to grow, to raise money, to make acquisition decisions because they were controlling the company. They, and you never want to be a founder, especially in the early stages before you get to execute your vision completely, where you have somebody stopping you because keep right. in mind, they're protecting their investment. You are trying to protect the life of your business and pivot as needed. And I've seen founders literally been prevented from pivoting in selling their company or doing anything because the investors were exercising control. So if you just take, make sure you always have your own attorney. I don't care. Like it's a, a must have expense. You have mm -hmm. to figure it out how to, how to have your own attorney um, and even try to have your own term sheets to counter. But if you do your docs, right, it should be, it will be okay. You know, I had yeah. bad deals in the beginning 
And I have found a, I found a great attorney that helped me to go back and renegotiate my agreements. I'm telling you this transparent wise to let you know, founders, if you're in a bad situation or you're not happy with your initial deal docs, go back and try to renegotiate them. Mm -hmm. They were pissed off when I came back to renegotiate, but I got over half of them to do that. And, you know, I asked them, can they waive their discounts? Because the discounts on those convertible notes were holding me hostage mm -hmm. from being able to free up capital to move to raise money because your discounts is holding up my stuff. If you're not going to give me any money, waive those discounts and convert to common stock now. Mm -hmm. And they was mad. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. I got it done and I freed up, I freed up shares. It was either that or my company was going to close down. I had no more stock to share. I mean, to right. sell, you know, so these are real things that happen and everything that I say is definitely speaking from direct experience. Mm -hmm. And I wish someone would have told me, but if you listen to what we're saying today, you can take money from investors and still grow, but there's a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. that can be made that will, um, cause it could stifle and hurt you. Right. And, and that's the, that's the thing is like, I think that the assumption is money equals lighted on fire to grow very quickly. And the reality is it's not always, it's not always that simple. Some things I want to unpack from what you just talked about. Voting rights is the ability to vote on the direction of the company. So usually your board members have voting rights while they're sitting at the table so they can determine what, what direction the company goes. If you own all the voting rights, or if you own a majority of them, you can always dictate where it goes. Um, Mark Zuckerberg kind of famously owned around 14 to 17% of Facebook. This is like, this is like, eight, nine years ago now, but he had like a large majority of the voting rights. So he even though he owns fired. a small percent, he, he couldn't be, he can't be fired, right? Like he, he owns that. So, you know, that's one thing to unpack. Dilution, um, you know, you, you talked about like non-dilutive shares. Yeah, so it's just like, imagine this, right? We talked about the idea of you're diluting over time as you're bringing in more investors. If someone has non-dilutive shares, they have 10% day one and it's non-dilutive period. That means day 3000, they still have 10%. Um, so everyone else is getting, you know, um, diluted at the same pro rata base while they're staying strong at what they put in like five, six years ago. So yeah. that's why you want to have dilutive shares across the board. You want everybody to feel the pain or the growth of that process. Right. Um, and then, and then too, you know, um, there's one other thing you said investor-wise I want to hit on. Um, I guess the, the key for me is, you know, you want to make sure in this process that you are very understanding of where things sit, what things mean, and how they will play out long-term. Um, and if you're not keen on that, that's why Don brought up, no matter what, you need to have a lawyer look at these documents um, because the, the last thing you want to do is shoot yourself in the foot um, because you're just excited to get that first $25,000 check or $50,000 check. Um, and sometimes this can happen even with family if you, you're privy to getting that kind of access to capital to your, from your family. But it could be something like they give you $20,000 from maybe 30% of your company and it's like your Aunt Tammy. is like when it's time to really raise capital, VCs will tell you, go back to Aunt Tammy, give her a check and tell her to bounce. So realize like yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, these things really, really matter. Um, and so I, I want to break down the idea of angel investors versus venture capitalists. Um, you know, it's, it's important to understand. I, I'm, I'm very big. I, like I nerd out on understanding the other side of the table and what, what are the force functions that make them move. Um, for angel investors, this, we, we call them angel investors, the angel part, because it's like this idea of they're coming out of the heavens and giving you money, bestowing money upon you to grow your business. Um, venture capitalists are backed by limited partners, LPs. 
Um, they have capital calls to see how their money is moving. Their idea is to invest in companies that are going to at some point have at least 100 million in revenue. You 10X that, it's a billion dollar business, um, and that it covers the losses. So if they exit the company, if it goes public, it covers the spread of all the other companies that are in the graveyard um, within that firm. So realize, you know, a VC's approach is not for what we call a lifestyle business, which I think is a very condescending term, but a business that's going to tap tap uh, tap out or or top out. I'm sorry, at 25 million a year, 40 million a year, and I'm sure people are sitting at home like 25 m's, m's a year. Like I want that business. Yeah, for VC, they like that's that a is little. not enough. That's year two or year three of, from taking their check. They want you right. to have a trajectory to 100 m's in five to seven years. That's the goal. Now they assume you're really going to get there in seven to ten in terms of their horizon. But in reality, they want you to, to show them a plan that says, I know what you need, and you need me to get to 100 million in revenue in five years. It's not reality for most businesses. But realize they're looking at one company, maybe two, that turns into Facebook or YouTube or whatever, and wipes out the losses of the other eight or nine companies that all will end up in the graveyard somewhere. Um, so VC is a very specific model for very specific businesses. If that doesn't align with the kind of business you want, if you want to sell t-shirts, that's dope. Make some amazing t-shirts and don't take VC and they won't give it to you anyways, but just be mindful of how you're raising capital. Angel investors, on the other hand, it, it, they really can invest however they feel. This is a high net worth individual. Um, usually accredited investors are folks that have over a million in net worth, over 200,000 annually in income for their family. Um, and that, that they get labeled accredited investors. And we'll, we'll unpack to the equity crowdfund piece because that's, that's in here as well. But it's important to understand an angel investor, they can invest in Dawn because Dawn is an amazing founder who's driven and I really respect her. And they can cut her a check. Does it mean it happens like that often? Probably not, right? But like that can genuinely be a reason why an investor would give Dawn $25,000, um, An angel investor and, and with angel investors in general, there's some organization around angel investment groups that tend to move more and more like VCs where they'll have some kind of organizer do some deal flow and they'll do these meetings once a month or once every quarter to look at new deals. Um, but it could also be a, a, a rich person that just wants to invest in startups because they have that risk profile. Um, you know, Don, for you, what has been something you thought about a lot in parsing through who is who are the right investors for, for Popcom, for Fat Thought Out of Heels, or for any business you've started? So you said, how did I get though? How did I? Yeah, like how did you determine which which kind of investor you were gonna go after? Yeah, definitely. I got distracted looking in the comments. I do want to answer something real quick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to say something. So someone said, I thought this was gonna be a session about launching your business from home, and it really is. You know, we just jumped to the um, part of that where it's like this is how you decide how to fund that business and giving you education on you know, the fundraising side of it. If you're looking for like, you know, I have a business idea, what do I do? This isn't that part of it, but we're assuming that, you know, this is a section where you know what you want, the kind of business you want to start. And we're trying to help you understand like what type of money that you're going to need to scale that business from home, right? Because you want it out of your home eventually. And I think both Oppo and I started our technology companies that are now worth millions of dollars from our home. And this is how we got out of our home. So I think everything we're saying today is valuable for every level of business. And I do hope that you stick around to hear the rest. <laughs> so that said, um, the reason why, so in the beginning, you know, I, I, I picked like who would understand my vision. And of course these were angels. 
And these are friends and family, people I went to college with. So my very first venture in 2001, I started my first tech company from home. And, uh, you know, I raised money from my college um, friends, you know, that were alumni of my school and um, people that I knew would understand the business and understand my vision. And they were definitely friends and family. So uh, something I learned, and once again, I'm not an attorney and I can't give legal advice. Something that I learned was there is a rule, I think it's under Reg D, that allows you to raise um, money from 35 unaccredited investors in what's your initial friends and family seed round. No more than 35. Now, if you want to do more than 35, is a different type of filing that you have to do. But if you want to get money from 35 people that are not accredited, just take their check. It could be 1,000, 2,000, 500. You can do that to 35 people max. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to get as much money as I can from friends and family. And so uh, my first business, I got $10,000. It's 2001. So that went pretty far. I started it and we started rolling, we started making money. My next business I raised for Flat Out of Hills. I got my first $50,000, like I said, from college friends. And then I got more. So I raised a total of like 300000 for that business. And I got one VC, which was backstage capital. But as you know, I was funding my business from pitch competitions. You know, I just knew right. um, it was just like pitch competitions and friends and family and close people. Then when I started the tech company, so so like basically my first company, I didn't know about VCs. This was 2001. My second company, flat out, at the time, VCs weren't really into it, but I knew that I could fund it. So I focused on angels and angels who um, like Backstage Capital and then angels who just, again, understood the industry I was targeting and was like, okay, yeah, I have a passion for either I support you or I, I love shoes or I love fashion and they invested in it. But then I knew when it was time to scale that I needed bigger checks and institutional checks. But you know, there's so many ways of funding your business. Like we talked about accelerators, pitch competitions are amazing. There's lots of grants out there these days that never existed mm -hmm. for me ever. I know you either. It's like, where were these grants at five years ago? Like <laughs> nothing. Um, you know, Definitely leveraging business credit. These are all things that I've done. So when we talk about like your business and, and, and getting capital for it, he broke down VC. 99% of people here just not a yeah. candidate for VC. This is reality. Um, but angel investors, pitch competitions, accelerators, incubators, grants, these are all things that you can look into. And what I love, my favorite resource is F6S. That's it, F6S. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, one of my favorite resources, F6S.com, because you can find programs literally all over the world. And, and then what I also would do is on Google Alerts, put pitch competition on Google Alerts so that I would get information about any time one came across. So um, I think I always, I got, I honestly got money every way possible, except yeah. for, um, I, you know, let me think. I got loans. I got, I think, except for actually a government grant because I wasn't, nothing applied, but I've literally got it every way, every way possible, any way possible, um, because I wasn't I wasn't a candidate for VC for a long time. And just to disclaimer, I did raise seven hundred thousand from VC, and my total round was three was um was a million, and I got three hundred thousand of that from accredited individuals, and another like seven hundred, a little over seven hundred thousand from actually the actual VCs. And I decided I didn't want to do that anymore mm -hmm. because I just the culture. It, I didn't like. Yeah, uh, the culture being go 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 go. No, no care I mean, for anything else. Like they don't. They. I don't. I don't like the VC culture. I didn't like. Yeah. How it made me feel. I didn't. It didn't feel authentic. It didn't. I, I like dealing with angels because 
They actually are people. They feel like people. Um, some VCs do. I'm not saying none of them do. There are some good ones out there for sure. I don't want to knock every single individual who's a venture capital investor. But I mean, overall, the culture is just not it's not what I, it's not what I vibe with. And so mm -hmm. I didn't thrive. I mean, some people would say raising 700,000 from VC is thriving. No, it's not. I mean, not when people right. like mm -hmm. clubhouse just really closed around for a hundred million dollars. I mean, closed around at a hundred million valuation last month, um, on a beta, on a private beta. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was, no. I think Quibi was like that too. Quibi had raised like a billion or something without yeah, even releasing. Like you come out the gate with a hundred million valuation VC led on a, private closed beta with the UI that is probably like the first version of it. So um, it just, I, I, I didn't like that culture. But, but that's what you realize is, it's, you know, this is, it, it can be a very rigged game, right? Like at the end of the day, it's still networks, it's still who you know, still yeah. less than a percent of VC capital goes to black people. Like these are just facts that if you don't know, you don't know. Um, and I think it's important to be very, very mindful of that. Um, and, you know, someone had asked earlier, I want to make sure we hit on this too, the, the, the idea of a down round. Um, so as you're raising capital, you have different stages of funding. Um, and so like, I just to keep it really simple, imagine if you raised previously and said your company was worth $4 million. And then um, now you're two years later and you're going to raise again and you want to raise at $8 million, And someone says, no, I'll, I'll invest in you, but it has, it's worth $2 million. Everybody, if, if you take that check, everybody gets massively diluted kind of two yeah. times over because your company's worth less than it was two years before when you raised yeah. that $4 million. So you, you, you absolutely want to avoid a down round. And I remember what I was going to say before too. Um, yes, Don said F6S, S is in Sam. Yep, perfect. Um, what Don mentioned earlier too uh, about... Um, Damn, now I was answering that question. But so we talked about down round, we talked about two, uh, the point I want to make in the VC space. It'll come back to me, but we'll keep it flowing for now. Um, and I appreciate too, keep the questions flowing as well when it comes to this stuff, because we can certainly unpack this. And I'm, I'm, that's perfect timing. The next uh, topic was stage, stages of funding. Um, so one, one part of this is in the beginning, you were, you're usually raised, they, they call it friends and family round. Um, I actually don't like this terminology much at all um, because oftentimes uh, for black and brown founders, there is not much of that. Um, I love that you could tap into that. I mean, don't, yeah, it's still at the end of the day, it's still accurate, I guess, in description because our first maybe $15,000 were from friends who had just graduated college, who had made a little bit of money and could, could slide us a few, yeah. a few thousand dollars. Um, so yeah, maybe it still is friends and family. Um, but for many of us, friends and family means like, yo, I, I, I chip in with groceries, or I chip in with rent that month so you're not on the street, no. right? That's, that's, that's angel investing from in the beginning beginning for many of us. Um, and so, you know, grants are a huge, you know, huge win. Um, you know, uh, pitch competitions, you know, I, I think our first 40,000 or so dollars were purely from pitch competitions that helped us to even get up, get a product off the ground. Um, so, you know, be cognizant of all these other ways to bring in income for the business, but not income in terms of revenue, income in terms of investment. Um, and of course, you could also generate income in terms of revenue. Um, my, the frustration I've always had with that is um, we all grow up hearing the adage of it takes money to make money. Um, so I, I get frustrated when it's, you know, now the bar is for, for even a C round, the bar is show me 500K or a million in trailing revenue the last 12 months. 
And you're like, wait, I thought you're C, like you're supposed to like help us find product market exactly. fit. Exactly. I, <laughs> I tweeted about this today. Yes. What did you say? What do you have to say about it? I tweeted about a company that's in my industry that um, raised $45 million in three years, 250, um, two, 2.5 million out of the gate. And basically, I got a million. So the VCs out the gate gave them 2.5 million. Um, they exaggerated their traction. They weren't doing well. So then they got 43 more million. And they got all they needed. And then they burned through that capital in three years and they're closing today. It got announced today that they're closing. So I tweeted, you know, VCs gave me a million expecting me to turn water into wine and come back with all these magical tractions and numbers. Meanwhile, they gave them 45 million to burn. What? It doesn't make any sense. We were clearly underfunded, and then you expect so much of me when we didn't have enough to do all of that, you know? But mm -hmm. like you said, it's like, it does take money to make money. But on the flip side, VCs, I believe strongly after watching and observing this trend, is, and which is why I like angels, is that VCs set companies up for failure by infusing too much capital too quickly before product market fit, proof of concept, and a marquee customer to generate revenue. And they pushed them and pushed them and pushed them to burn and grow fast. And then they crashed and burned and fell because they didn't even know what they were doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. so I think I do believe slow and steady wins the race. And that's why companies like Who's Your Landlord and Popcom are still in business today. Because mm -hmm. even though we thought we needed more money, we still took it. We still stay focused on the goal and a lot of our peers and people in the industry that are closed down now and didn't make it because they got too much money too fast and gave up control and you know it's like we're still here and now we we got it we know what we're selling mm -hmm. we know how to scale it and now any money we get from here then it goes so i feel right. you know, it's it it hurts companies to raise too much too soon and they're starting they're starting to 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 see that you know yeah stages are there for a reason i think I, i'm a milestone driven um fundraiser i raise money to reach and exceed the the milestone that i set so i can come back and demonstrate that i've, right. that I've done that and that also helps us to stay on you know our our kpis and be focused on milestones with the ultimate goal being revenue mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it growth yeah. revenue and, and well, you can't forget that businesses, I think the tech industry has gotten away from this a bit or did and now it's coming back. Businesses are revenue generating entities. So if you're not making money, you, you don't have a business. And if you can't see the path to making money, you don't have a business. Um, and so I just want to highlight that like the, historically, for just, and I'll say historically, and I mean still today, right? Now pre-seed capital is... I'm going to give you money. You, you come up with a great idea. You have kind of a product in place that's coming together. You have a cool like team of two or three. I'm going to, I'm going to invest this money so you can get product market fit to an extent, right? Figure out your product. And a really good MVP, you know, minimum. Exactly. Right. And yeah. KPI meaning key performance indicators. Like you want to yeah. know what is it that you're actually driving towards your seed round is I'm going to, so I'm sorry, pre seed. It's not product market fit. It's more MVP. Make this initial media, you know, um, this, this viable product, this most viable product that you can then get into the market. The seed round is going to be, I want to help you get the product market fit. Go out there and get customers to show that this works. So I'm going to invest in you to get there. And then post that. So you're talking about series A, B, C, D funding and on. I'll focus on A first. Series A is 
I'm investing in you now because you've proven traction to me. This is growing. You do have some semblance of product market fit. Now I'm going to make millions, tens of millions a year. And, and it goes on from there. And you're getting into D and E round. You're talking more about private equity firms backing you. So you're not even in the VC world anymore. You're, you're right. talking about bigger checks than even that. Um, and that's kind of funding your way to, to massive growth. And a lot of companies make that bet. And like the Ubers of the world who want to, they're thinking of saturation across many markets internationally, more than just being profitable. Um, but what can, of course, hurt is if laws change or if there's a pandemic, those things can very quickly affect your business. and, and there you kind of are. Um, what I was going to mention earlier too is the idea of understanding what people are thinking across the table. Some angel investors literally just want to be able to say they're in the know. They, they're working with cool entrepreneurs and they'll invest off of that. And what you know is your conversations with them are about vanity things. They, they care about press. They care about these different yeah. things. And that's, that's all they want to hear. You're in the press. Cool. I can say to my friends, I got a cool founder I invested in. With VCs, a lot of times it's it's around what are you, how are you incrementally growing? But it's actually not around that per se. It's and a very famous VC. I'm blanking on his name right now, but out in the Bay Area, spoke about this recently. Was for a lot of venture capitalists, you know, they're they're making a carry. So every time a company exits, they get some kind of percentage back kickback in terms of they found that company. Here's your earnings. Then there's a management fee that they get as a percentage of the fund every single year. So the larger the fund, the larger the man management fee, the more they get paid. And so if, if I'm a seed investor and I invest in Dawn's company, part of me is investing because I can see her make at least making it to series A, which then means that if she gets another check at series A, I can tout that my firm found this diamond in the rough, got it to series A, and I want to go back out as a fund and raise more money because I've proven I can get companies from seed to series A. The issue with that way of thinking versus literally just thinking of business as a success is that you're literally pumping a system, especially if it's connected in terms of connections, and I can call my buddy at this firm and say, hey, look, I got this good company. They're growing very fast in your series A funding. The problem with that kind of flow is that it's not predicated on great businesses and predicated more on who we know. Um, and I, I have a good friend of mine who's an investor, and he said this to me very, very candidly one day. He was like, you know, he's angel, he was angel investing in a few different businesses, and he had this young white lady that he was looking at her business, a young black woman who was looking at her business. And um, he was like, you know, what's sad is it came down to the black woman. If she, if, she took, if she took this check and used it and anything happened to the business, um, anything happened to the business, she would not be able to bounce back. Um, but the young white woman, if he invested in her business, her, he knew her parents were rich. So he knew that in a, within a rainy day situation, her parents would come to the rescue and give her an extra 25K or extra 50K to make payroll. And so he ended up investing in her company simply because she had a, 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 a net to fall in versus the black woman who he said kind of was out there on her own, even if it was more profitable as a business, God forbid a COVID-19 happened and now she's out of business potentially. Yeah. Whereas this other woman, her family won't let that happen. So there, there's so many psychological things happening when you're raising capital that you, it is incumbent upon you to be mindful of. Um, otherwise you will find yourself getting got. And yeah. that's, that's how it flows. Um, but let me slot on here. Um, I, I want to touch on the, the raising capital flow, and I'll hit on this from the VC and angel perspective as well. Um, and then what I want to do is I think the next slide is about, so data room terms do. 
So we're going to get we're going to get soon to and I'm going to focus this pretty quickly. We're going to get soon to equity crowdfunding. So I want you to talk about that, Don, because you've had a lot of success in both worlds. But as of course, in terms of recent times, the equity crowdfund, um, equity crowdfunding, raising capital, um, the, the flow of it. Uh, so Don already was talking about F6S.com. Um, where you can learn more about different grants that are available, different competitions that are, that are going on, different accelerators and apply right there through that platform. Um, you can find out what companies are raising through sites like Crunchbase. Um, that's a site that usually will, and it's usually pretty loose. It's not necessarily always the most accurate, but it goes off of press clippings. They'll tell you what different companies have raised. So it's a good thing to look at Crunchbase to understand how do you kind of measure up to other companies in your industry that have raised capital before you. Um, another thing too is, you know, when you're trying to get it, because people will ask oftentimes, how do I get introductions to angel investors? Um, a key thing is you know, angellist.co is a great way to start to learn what angel investors are investing in different industries and spaces. Yeah. Once you see those names and those uh, tangential companies that are similar to yours in any capacity, you can throw that name in LinkedIn and then see who your mutual connections are. Whoever the, the strongest mutual connection is, so if it's another fund um, you know, manager or if it's a, another founder, you can ask that person to intro you to that investor if they have a good relationship with them. Um, and the, the best way to do this for folks at home that are interested is create a simple blurb for your company, one or two sentences about what it does, four to five bullet points about what you've accomplished, KPIs, as Don has mentioned, key performance indicators that you can put a snippet of and copy and paste that a million times into other intros. So the idea there is that you want to give your friend or your connection the, the template, give them what they need to quickly make an introduction. There's no sweat off their back to then facilitate that connection between you and that potential investor. Um, I am, and historically I've been this way, but I think I've changed my perspective on this now. I usually don't like providing the deck in my first email. I like to first just have a conversation over 30 minutes or so just to get to know the person um, and they get to know my business as well as me. Um, and then usually I follow up with the deck as like a hook. Um, where I'm at now in our business is that I'm looking for serious investors. So they're going to get the deck immediately. I want to know if they're interested. If they are, we'll have the conversation. We won't even bring up the deck, to be honest. We'll just talk about the business. Yeah. After that, it might be passed on to their partners or they, they themselves are the decision maker and I'm sending to them a data room, which I'll get into next as well. But um, Don, for you, what have you seen to be your flow that works really well in terms of finding investors? So early on, finding investors and then moving things through to the finish line of getting them to invest in your company. Um, I found investors by going to events. You know, now things are a little different. There aren't events happening, but let me, let me rewind. Yes, there are, because a lot of events on like Hopin and these platforms, I did a couple of them and people are now like really in there engaging and making connections on these virtual conferences. So again, this is, that's how I built my network of investors going to conferences and showing up at all the conferences and they eventually just start recognizing me. I mean, I'd say, you know, I would, I would always to make a point to if there was somebody that I wanted to meet um, speaking, I would go to their session and I would ask a question. So they would see me and then after it was over, I would go up to them. You know, now I'm like the speaker, but it's funny how <laughs> I used to be the person in the crowd and I would have a whole strategy before the conference. Like, okay, I want to meet this person. And I would go to their session and I would ask the question or I'll just make myself be seen to them. And that's really one-on-one -on -one connections is best. And then, you know, also um, somebody vouching for you. That's why introduction is so yeah. important because if somebody isn't familiar with you, if somebody they know vouches for you, it just helps it get better. Especially now they're just like, 
so many more um, people interested in VC. Like, it, I feel like the exposure, like Shark Tank and things, just like the exposure to like now everybody. If I could tell you how many times people try to get me to introduce them to Arlen, I'm like, dude, go meet her. Go meet her. Go hit her up on Twitter. She's there all day. You know, or go hit her up on Instagram. So it's like taking the initiative to reach out on your own and um, is the best way for sure. I also would look up companies. So like I study, I, I know companies in my industry like they're mine. Okay. So I study my industry every day. I have Google alerts on all of the company on vending machines on all of the companies that, you know, are in my industry. I, I subscribe to all the newsletters from industry publications. And so mm. what I do when I see companies doing things and raising money, I go to Crunchbase and I see who invested in them. And so then I say, at least they understand what I'm doing, you know, mm -hmm. and find out like who is even moving in my space. So that's, you know, that's how I connect with them too. But it's very organic. It's very, you got to hit the pavement. You cannot expect somebody to make an introduction, do the work for you, be in their LinkedIn, be on their Twitter, um, you know, fill out their form on their website, go to the conference, show up, ask questions. And you have to understand that you Rule number one, don't go on Twitter, or don't go on no platform and just hit an investor up and say, I want you to invest in me. I have a company. I want you to invest in me. <laughs> that is a no. That is the worst way to approach it. How I always get them to respond. I research them. I see where they have an article or something they talk about or something about themselves. Oh, I see you were in the recent article in TechCrunch talking about this. Mm -hmm. Can you? Oh, they love hearing about themselves. And they said something, I'll be like, you know, yes. So engage with them first and then they talk, they talk like I've literally got everybody to talk back to me because I know how to talk to people without asking for something. People like this get asked for something all day. Like, can you give me? Uh, stroking their ego a little bit or their desire to be just, you know, recognized goes a long way. So you have to do your research on people. Don't just, I never casted a wide net. I hear founders say, I pitched to 100, I had 100 VC meetings and I got told no 99 times. You're not going to damn tell me no 99 times because I'm not going to pitch to 99 people that don't have anything, don't have a clue about what I'm doing. So I think when I raised my, my million, which like I said, high net worth in VC, I think I might have had 25 meetings and I got the money because I did my research and I only, I only approached people that I know could help me. It makes sense for them to invest in me. They've invested in the space. They know the space. They have LPs or partners. Like it had to make sense. And that's how, yeah. that's how I close it. So it's like, you got to do your research. So when you approach people, you have to be clear. Like, I want you to, I want you, I want to partner with you. I want to give you the opportunity to invest in my company because I see you have a track record for this, or I see that you, you know, you gotta, you gotta make that connection. And, and I always stand out and I always get a call, a meeting and everything because of my approach. Well, you mentioned the idea of it. I'm giving you the opportunity to invest in my company. You an opportunity. That, that's such a change in terms of, right. I'm not begging you for a check. I'm not, yes. I'm not groveling to get a check. I'm giving yes. you an opportunity to turn your money I'm into more money. I'm putting you on to the new hotness you coming. <laughs> you have to, and that's a mindset shift that many founders have to go through. Um, and a lot, for a lot of us, look, we're not talking, like, I, well, I'll say for me personally, that's not how I felt in the beginning. 
in the beginning, it was like, hey, like, we try and get this money. So it's like, if someone's giving you the opportunity to get a check, you're, you're looking at it through a different lens. I guess indirectly, you still have the, that those, you harbor those feelings because a lot of the money we turned down was actually very early. So still maybe you, you know that to your core, it's an opportunity and there's certain things you will, you can lean on and you won't lean on. But at the end of the day, it, it really does take inner work to understand how important what you're bringing to the world is. And I'll forget a friend of mine just kind of quipped it um, after an event. But uh, he, he was being asked by somebody else with us, you know, why are you building that business? Like, it doesn't make any money. And he didn't deny that. But he was like, I'm building this business because I feel like it should exist in this world. And I was like, I really fuck with that. Like, I really rock with that way of thinking because that's, that's at the core, the essence of how you want to be as a founder. You want to be creating something you passionately and deeply feel, not just something that will get you the funds to then do it again and sell the company and do it again, right? Like, um, and that, that's its own trajectory. But um, one thing I want to touch on, though, while we have this data room slide up is a data room, just to give a frame of reference, is, is the space where the most important docs of your business kind of yeah. live. I have two versions of this. I have more of a light data room that tends to be more demo-centric, more data-centric, um, more in investor deck, sales, sales insights, and go-to-market strategy. Then I have uh, like one on steroids where it's like our founding documents, you know, our operating agreement, our, you know, our um, bylaws. That's all in there so you know we're a reputable business. Then you have your financial models. How are you going to grow? What the cap table looks like? Um, how are you going to invest the capital? What's your hiring strategy? Um, that stuff is all baked into that one in addition to of course the investor deck and and those sales insights again so um i use google drives for that and it's just like one folder and then within that folder is a few more folders and within those folders is a few more documents um and i think dropbox is also a good good thing you can use for that um and, and then you want to include as well um in the, in the more beefed up one your closing documents so if you do want to invest if you do believe here's how you execute your wire here's where you send your check to um, and, and hear the terms. And so, so it's very important to keep that in place. Um, and also be mindful that a lead investor, the reason why we delineate between lead investor and participating investors is a lead investor sets the terms with the founder. I'm going to invest in you, Dawn, with your company being valued at $25 million because I believe in it and you believe in it to be at least $25 million in value. That's what we would determine if I was a lead investor in Dawn's company. Right. Everyone subsequently thereafter in that round will come in on the same terms because we already did the legwork to come up with what the structure was. Um, it's not for if you're raising a round of $2 million or $10 million, it's not for a situation where someone puts in, you know, it at this rate and then the very next person puts it in at a different rate and, and go on and on. It's like that's it's not fair to the first investor that put the capital in, um, especially if you're giving the next person a better um, deal. So just giving that delineation there as well. Um, and of course, to, to Dawn's point, if you're a company in hardware or even or technology, right, um, from any angle, you, your IP also is extremely important. You can raise capital off of your team and your IP before you ever generate a dollar because of how important that IP is, intellectual property, that being the case. So um, I want to jump in. I've seen yeah. a question and I want to say something so that, because like there's different levels of business um, of businesses on here. So I want to bring it back to the data room for everyday early sure. founders. But then I want to answer the question. You can Google due, data, due diligence data room checklist, and then many of them mm -hmm. exist online. And so every single entrepreneur in this group 
needs to have somewhere, you know, I use Box, Dropbox, and I use Google Drive for whatever way you want to get it, but somewhere where you're putting all of your documents in one organized way. You don't even have to be wanting to raise money right now. You should always have a data room prepared at all times for your business. It, every single month. I, use my, I do it every day. Every contract that you have signed, download that, make a copy, put in your data room, deal sign. Every partnership, every month bank statement, every employment agreement, every intellectual property assignment agreement, you must have these. Even if you're like, you know what, I just started my business at home, me and my friend, um, we don't need all that. Yes, you do. From day one, you need operating agreement from day one when you have no money. You need employment agreements between you and whoever is working so that everybody's clear what their job is. Even if you're making no money, you should every single month do financials. Even if you're at a loss, you'll be at a loss for a long time. Make sure you're tracking every single dollar you spend. Right now, today, as an in-home business, as a mom and pop, because you're going to need it for taxes, you're going to need it to grow. You're going to need it. You always just need to stay ready as, as the leader of your business. So literally every day, every contract that I sign, I drop it in to my drive. So like at any time, if anybody wants to see anything we're doing, it's ready every single month. P&Ls, balance sheets, cash flow statements, bank statements, credit card statements. It's all going into a, you know the folder. So now is the time to start compiling these documents and make sure that you have what you need because you don't want to be scrambling the last yes, minute yeah. and you want to raise money or get a loan or do anything and you don't have your paperwork in order. You're trying to figure out, oh my God, where's the receipt or the bank statement? Every month, make it a practice of just putting everything in a folder and keeping good documentation. And like I said, I want to reiterate, it doesn't matter if you don't make any money. Still do monthly financial reports. It doesn't matter if you know, you're just starting out as you and a few friends. Still put down an operating agreement as far as who does what role, what happens if you guys want to split up, because you don't want to wait till you start making money to decide who gets what. It's going to be drama. You decide when you're broke. It's less like the prenup for business. That operating yes. agreement is going to be the foundation of yep. your business, and everybody understands what they get, what their role is now. And then you can easily amend that if you say, you know what, you said you were going to be doing this, but you're not doing that. And per the operating agreement, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, we can vote you out of this and we can reduce your shares. So important when you have co-founders and somebody ends up not doing their part. That's why the yeah. operating agreement from day one is critical. And if you don't have lawyer money, you can go to SCORE. There's a SCORE chapter in every city in America almost, funded through the SBA, get a legal mentor. You can also download documents online and what i used to do when i didn't have a lot of money i would do my own legal docs i i i'm damn near a lawyer now but i'll pull them from online i will make a document then i will send it to a lawyer for review so that they didn't have to charge me for starting all over again on a clean doc because they will do that but now at this point i don't know about you ofo but like i know law you know mm -hmm. i know the law I've studied fundraising on the law there. I know, I just know the law. I've been burnt many times enough to now know to read every single word of a contract and really make sure that you can interpret things. But right now, today, what you all need to be doing, starting your data room, having all your documents, and then really studying like just the law, just for businesses, understand business law, understand finances. You know, you have to, people have said, Oh, I'm not a, I'm not a numbers person. Like as a founder, I don't, you know, I had to learn how to do my own projections and I was intimidated at first, but I'm like, 
if you're not a numbers person, you better become one because how are you going to make hundreds of millions of dollars not being a numbers person? You have to oversee and be the steward of this of this money. So this is that's so important. I don't want anyone to think that this conversation is is not on your level. Someone said this is not, I'm not on this level. I wish someone told me what we're telling you today mm -hmm. when I was not on this level so that I did not have to make the mistakes that I made from someone not telling me. So when I realized I'm at this level, I didn't have all the tools I needed. So don't like stay with us because even if it goes over your head, you're being exposed to things that you're going to need to know if you do want to grow your business to a large business one day. Period. And, and, and someone asked earlier about the idea of what if you're a small business and this process of raising capital, you know, realize like small businesses get investments all the time as well. They get loans as well. Like, that's why your business credit is so important in those capacities. You, I, I always like highlighting, you know, as, as a founder of anything, and it could be a small shop, there's, there are going to be the days where you're working in your business, right? And I think I said this on the last call, or maybe the call before. In your business is like you're the you're the, the butcher at the deli. You're chopping the meat. You're bagging it up. You're then scaling it, weighing it, selling it, going from there. On the business, you could still be working in it and doing that day to day because you enjoy it. But you're thinking of how can I then get enough buffer from this this business, this one shop, to make another shop and to make another shop. And usually, what you're doing is you're just you're getting cash flow positive. You're able to show growth. You can go to a bank then and get the proper loan you need to open up the next shop. So it's still very very applicable to small businesses as well um because remember small businesses are still businesses that that that, that are pretty big <laughs> like we say small business yeah. and people think of mom and pop but small businesses can have 15 people in them and be making like five seven million dollars a year right so and that's good and that's a good business and that's a good business you know? that's a really good business um I so yeah. i don't want to cut you off but i want people to definitely i didn't see these questions i didn't realize there was a question separate question tab but it says for popcom when you designed your bidding machine did you get your patent first before you started the business aspect of it in terms of investors um and if so how did you go about that really quickly there's something called a provisional patent so when i knew i wanted to start my business i i knew i wanted to build something i'm not an electrical i'm not an electrical engineer hardware engineer i'm not even a software engineer but I wanted to build a vending machine with this unique software. I went out and filed a provisional patent. This means you have, you file this patent and it's kept private. It's an intent. It's like you, you have a patent pending and then you have one year to make it or to um, come back and file the full patent demonstrating that, you know, you were the first to do this. So yes, I filed a provisional patent first. I went out and then found a team to build an MVP for me. And now, you know, years later, my patent is still pending. But it's important to get that patent, provisional patent filed, because then you are the first to bring that. And so nobody can steal it from you because you put it up first. So even if you say, like, you hire software engineers or anybody, whatever you're doing, to build it for you, the patent is something you filed. It was your idea. They cannot take that away because you have the provisional. You're the first. So it's important if you think it's a patentable thing, which everything is not patentable. If you think that it is, you can go to USPTO, USPatentTrademarkOffice.gov and just do a light research on patents and see what exists and study and then see. And then, you know, you could have to pay a lawyer to file a provisional patent. Um, and then I said, how did I go back doing that? Okay, that's all. I hope that answered your question, provisional patent first. And then one says, is DBA necessary when you haven't made any money yet or are you just starting to make money? I know some people who operate under their own name, but then project 
then then project business name like my name dot photography services um is a dba ready when you haven't made money yet like a doing business as like yeah doing business as yeah, yeah. but like file but does that mean you already have a business as llc and you're just doing business as i mean you know when you have a real dba it's actually filed as a dba mm -hmm. under the same place that you file your actual business name so yes it's important to whatever you're going to call yourself you need to have your paperwork set up whether it's llc a c corp or whatever that is set it up and yes i always operated and thought of my business like a major corporation from the very beginning i had a hr manual when i was the only person working because i always said this is going to get big so i'm setting this up like it's a major corporation so yes have all your stuff ready i say always have all your stuff ready that's uh, yeah agreed agreed um let me make sure i got my stuff here hold up hold up here we go cool no i, I agree with everything you just said um it's important to have all those documents ready um because you, you you gotta stay ready that's just really the reality of it um and you don't want to be in situations where you know an investor reaches out to you for documents and it's taking you a week or two to get back to them um, because you're not ready. So, um, and I, I say all that out of experience, uh, like literal experience. So, um, in terms of the deal and closing docs, we touched on this already. So I'm going to, I'm going to breeze through it, but we will touch on these things in depth as we're going through. Um, I want to hit on pattern matching and bias before I switch up to talking about more online equity crowdfunding for folks that are looking at this information. Um, one thing I'll touch on in terms of even like the, uh, the there's a previous question around patents. Remember too, there is a, a such thing as like a poor man's trademark as well. If you are using a logo or a name, and you don't, all right, what are you, what are you gonna say on it? I learned, I thought that, you know, as a black person, they'd be like, this is the poor man's trademark. Put it on your in envelope and mail it to yourself and seal it and have the postmark stance. You know, that doesn't even hold up anymore. I mean, I guess you could try it, but I just, you know, just I, don't. Just yeah, go yeah. do it right. Go do the work. Yeah. LegalZoom.com, $250 to file a trademark. Don't cut corners. You know, I did this. I did the poor man's trademark before. That's what I'm saying. And I've seen where it didn't hold up in the, in the past. Um, let's just not do anything under that under that mindset. Let's sure. I, I agree. I agree. But the, the idea there was that, you know, if you're operating your business with these logos, you know, you, you have a site with resonance. Um, that if, God forbid, you didn't have a trademark and someone tried to use your, your likeness or your logos, you could sue and still actually retain the rights yes, to use it once you have your jurisdiction website, over there. Exactly, it's in you. exactly. It's in you. Um, but Don is 100% Don is right. Like, if you just iron it out. You know, there's just no need to cut corners and you don't have to. Iron it out as best as possible. Lawyer-wise, if you're looking for a lawyer early in your process, realize you don't necessarily need to always be able to pay a lawyer do your research on who are startup startup lawyers a lot of them will take some like for example even our lawyer we end up putting on our board as an advisory board member got got like a, over a vesting period of same the same four years a couple percentage worth of shares and and literally provides us all the access to all the dots and everything we need unless it's something that's very very fine-tuned something yeah. that's not and like something he doesn't usually have to do um and also another thing to keep in mind as well when you're working with these big law firms, um, there's, a, there's an advantage to working with big law firms because they have connections usually in BC as well. But realize when you're paying that hourly fee, oftentimes their, their associate is taking an old document 
editing the names, sending it to you and charging you a bill for that. Yeah. So to, to Dawn's point about find what you can find on, you know, on LegalZoom and these different sites. Um, and, and then just ask it, ask for it to be reviewed. And usually they'll review things like the indemnification and all the, all the, the things that matter, they will tell you about. And, and I, my relationship with our council now has been, hey, I've read through this document. I feel this, I feel comfortable with this. I'm going to send this to you. Tell me anything I should be thinking about as a business owner. And they will highlight it for you. They will redline that for me. And a lot of times they're going to be deals, even I mean, partnership wise or client deals that maybe you're not all the way in on in terms of all the little things. But remember, a deal is a negotiation, right? And so there's going to be something where it's like, tell me the bad news, the bad news that I can live with and tell me the bad news that no, 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 this messes up my entire business. Yeah. Um, so be mindful of that when talking to counsel as well. Um, uh, pattern matching and bias. I, you know, I, I want us to touch on this, but I, I want us to touch on it in, as a conduit to um, misconceptions about fundraising and then as a conduit to this. So what I'll do is um, I wanna, want you first, Dawn, to highlight why you decided to go the route you did in terms of online equity crowdfunding. Um, and, and did it at all come from a place of not wanting to deal with VC because of like your point, 99 investors saying no for one yes, I'm not fucking with that. Like what was your thought process and why you chose to go this way? Okay. Um, first, like I said, when I raised my VC round, I didn't like the culture. Um, I wasn't really feeling how they treated me after I raised the money. Um, and I raised the, you know, the first round from them. And then, you know, I, I did reach my milestone that I said that I was going to reach. And they, they, they all, in the meetings, I would ask specifically, you know, do you have follow-on alloca allocated for your portfolio company? Do you have money for follow -on? Like, that's important to me that if I reach my milestones, you have money that you're going to give me more. And that's something that you have as a practice. So they will all say, yes, we're going to have follow-on. And then when I, you know, met my milestones and, um, I needed more money to keep growing. They turned their back on me, expecting me to have worked some 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 miracles. So it's like I literally had to find another way to raise money. And I've been hearing about the Jobs Act since back in you know honestly the Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Summit in like mm -hmm. 2015. I heard a talk about it, and um, I was interested. Then I got really interested in um, the uh, the ICO space. So like cryptos. When when crypto got big 2017 and people were doing ICOs. I'm like, you know, I'm about to do an ICO because, I, you know, we use blockchain in our solution and I was really going double down the ICO. Then 2018, the SEC, so while I was preparing to do an ICO, thinking like, you know what, I'm just going to go all the way not traditional route because I don't like how they turned their back on me. I was very upset, you know, about it. It was, it was like, I was, I had a vengeance, you know, my, I, I was ready to just get them back. So I said, I'm doing an ICO then the SEC made it illegal to do these um, ICOs and they put something, they, they put everybody under the Jobs Act. So any general solicitations, they had to be under the Jobs Act in the, the specific rules around whether it's the Reg D, Reg CF, Reg A plus. And so I knew that I wanted to not go to VC to raise money. I wanted to prove them wrong because they turned their back on me and my personal vendetta against VC. So it was very personal. But I also knew that as an entrepreneur, I had a great community of friends, family, supporters, followers, you know, supporters online, on social media. They see my career. And I said, I can raise money. I'm going to do a crowdfunding. I can, I'm, I'm going to do a token. If I couldn't do an ICO, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a crowdfunding. And 
I knew they were going to, you know, I knew I could get some, some money and I wanted to be able to raise some not accredited investors because after I had raised that VC round, keep in mind, I told you guys earlier, you could raise from 35 non-accredited investors before you start taking institutional capital and only 35 limit without having to do a separate filing with the SEC. So after I took VC money, you can't go back and take unaccredited money. It's not the way that it works with the fundraising laws. So I had to file to take not accredited money, but I knew that my friends and family, majority of them are not accredited, but they did have money to invest. And so I wanted to open it up to my community. Was at a time where I was just feeling like, you know what? Going off of the advice Jewel gave me years ago, find a way, find another way to raise money. I said, I'm gonna jump out there and, and you know do crowdfunding. Now, I also had seen the success of many companies doing things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And so again, that's not equity crowdfunding, that's crowdfunding for a product to fund it right. or a project. But, but the people, all they get is to say, I, made it, I, I contributed, I get a t-shirt, or I get the product. Now, I'm like, you can have a, a ownership, a equity, shares mm -hmm. in my company, and now you can have, you could grow with me. You know, this is a way to create wealth for my friends, family, and my community. And so I was really excited to be able to do that, and that was very difficult. There was extreme barriers to entry when I did it, but now... Um, we can talk about this and lead into it, but some of the the rules around the Jobs Act and equity crowdfunding, um, Reg CF in particular, have been relaxed recently in the wake of COVID and businesses needing to get access to capital faster and government resources and investors not moving fast enough. You can now crowdfund. Um, almost anyone can crowdfund 250 without hardly any of the requirements that existed. No, that was long, but I'll No, not. It was very insightful, you know. So, so both Dawn and I have done equity crowdfunding online. Dawn has been much more successful at it than I have. We still we we close a successful round of funding. But I highlight this because you know the the, the in preparing to go live, there's a there's a lot of financial documents and a lot of transparency you have to have to then solicit for people's money that are not accredited investors. And the government does this to ensure that you are not taking advantage of people who don't have millions and millions in the bank. Um, Another thing to highlight, I think, too, with the, the JOBS Act, so the JOBS Act, just to, to give some clarity to that, too, is Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act, and it was put into place by the Obama administration, and the idea was like, you know, th that, that whole, whole adage, again, of the rich get richer, um, that has been a true thing, especially in the tech community. Um, people that are rich, that are high net worth individuals, that are accredited investors, get to invest in Facebook when it's in a garage, get to invest in, in Snapchat when it's in a garage. And what about everyone else who doesn't, doesn't experience the, 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 the thousands, or now I'm sorry, the millions, and then sometimes even billions, depending on what the business is, uh, dollars worth of growth. Um, a lot of regular Americans are, are left out of that. So the idea here was to open the, the open the access to more capital, um, open up the opportunity for folks to get investing and not just be in um, the stock market and what have you. And you get the Jobs Act, and that that turned on to Startup Engine, that turned on to SeedInvest.com, that turned into Republic.co, and all these different platforms that focus on getting founders funding and they take of course a certain percentage of they that for their company right um but the idea here is that when people invest in your company through these platforms it hits your cap table as one line um so it's not you know you know dawn gets 300 investors she doesn't have to deal with 300 individuals every single day it's one line item from startup engine that would like a say, syndicate you know, we, a syndicate it's a, exactly mm -hmm. exactly um so it's it's a great alternative to raising capital 
um, the VC rate way. But what I will stress is that it is it there is a skill set aligned with doing it right and and i so that's why you know when we talk about donna raised a million dollars twice over as the only woman to do this we're not we're not i think it's so important to highlight even even if she'll like, i think be very humble about it and it, these things come with ease get my community it is extremely difficult to do those things if you're not good at it so you need to talk to people like dawn so you can learn how to best do it how to best execute um because it's the in preparing your your pr run press right in preparing your marketing getting the the word out that you're doing this um sometimes it, it like not even sometimes it costs money just to do that um and if you don't know how to do it appropriately or effectively and realize that you know what's different about this kind of solicitation is that it is going to take momentum completely full stop and in public to get it done behind the scenes for angel investors and, and vcs it takes momentum as well, but it's a little bit more narrative driven by your narrative of what your business is doing. Once you're out there in public with the equity online crowdfund, if Dawn is like, hey, we're crushing it and we know her goal's a million and she's at she's sitting at a hundred thousand two and a half months in, we're like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. For VCs and investors, like it's it's a different ballgame behind the scenes. So yeah. if you're gonna go the the online equity crowdfund route you have to study the game you have to prepare adequate adequately for it um and you have to be mindful of what is the emotional connection with people that you're looking to invest the capital and and another thing i think don that you know you, you highlighted as well is from a community's perspective and i think i actually have it here too um there's always there's a knowledge gap oftentimes within our communities as to what this looks like i remember when we did our online equity crowdfund campaign in the summer of 2018 the, the questions I was getting a lot was, all right, so like, you know, when I invest, it's gonna look like how it looks with Google, right? Like, you know, like, and I would, I would have to break down, like it's, it's, we're, it's not like, this isn't the stock market. This isn't a publicly traded company. This is a private company. So like, you know, whether it's reporting that comes through me in, in terms of updates, um, you know, in terms of how it gets done, it's, it's not on, you can't publicly go and find who's your landlord and invest. A lot of these things are, are done differently because we are a private corporation. So it's important to understand, you know, how to best also articulate the story. Because what I found was that we were pitching twice. Mm -hmm. One part of the pitch was what our company generally does. Do you believe in it? Do you see the growth tra trajectory? Do you want to invest in it? Once you get past that, the second part is, how does all this stuff work? Like, if I invest in you, like, I, I'm trying to figure out how this works, whatever. And so I found myself really educating on two levels, what our business does and how, the, how to actually invest. Um, and, and the reality of money is that money buys us time money buys us resources um oftentimes and it is, it's genuine people will feel like look i'm going to put 500 dollars of my hard-earned money into your business i want to call and talk to you for an hour and you know magic johnson kind of famously is like i don't do deals under a million dollars so i'm gonna spend the same time on that million dollar deals i'm gonna spend on the hundred thousand dollar deal that's something that's important to understand in business is that it's 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 the, the value, the time value of the money you're getting. So if I spend, you know, an hour on a call with an investor putting in $250 of their hard-earned money, and I also can, can make the connections that maybe if you add up a few weekends of going out when things are more normal, you would have just spent that $250 and not thought twice about it. That $250 is not worth my hour. So you have to figure out how to best either do community calls 
where everyone joins the call and then you would have a chance to go through your pitch deck and everyone can ask questions. Um, or you, you know, you have to be very clear. It's a hard question, but it's like, hey, someone, someone reaches out to me and says, hey, I'm interested in investing one hour of your time to talk through it. It is okay to be like, hey, just to get a general sense, how much are you looking to invest? Because that does dictate then how much time you can spend with that person. Because if they reach out and they say $100,000, I gladly have an hour for you. If they reach out and they say $300 that my grandmother loaned me, I don't have an hour for you. You know what I mean? But I do have this community call coming up next Friday that you should join to ask any questions you have. So just wanted to, to highlight that. And, and what, are, what are some experiences you had, Dawn, from a, from a knowledge gap perspective? And how have, you, how have you found it effective and efficient in closing that gap? I did the same as you. I, I did what I call AMAs, Ask Me Anything. And I would do those like every few weeks. And I would get on like live and just answer questions. But I also pre-recorded a lot of videos and put them on YouTube so that, you know, I broke, I did a lot of videos. And so I knew from the last round, just from raising money in general, what people's questions are as it relates to my business. And so I just would answer those questions on a video and then send them to those. Then I would also post my AMAs onto um, YouTube. And so they would say, oh, I missed the AMA. Don't worry, it's on YouTube. So go ahead and, you know, check it out and those, answer those questions there. I also say, please post your questions on Start Engine on my, crowdfunding campaign page so I can openly answer them, then I'll send other investors. Go back and look on the page. So I'm answering your questions in all different ways, but I'm not letting myself be worn out. I did a lot of pre-planning. So when you talk about pre-planning and not just throwing a campaign up, and we, we spent about six months preparing our campaign, our materials, our videos, our marketing, me writing thought leadership pieces, you know, me blogging, um, and just really making sure that people's questions or the clarification they needed around certain things existed in the world already. And it was a, I don't want to say it like this, but it was a breeze last time. The first time was very hard. I learned a lot. And so that's why I really, I don't have the time to personally walk people through this. Uh, but I did write a blog. I did a, also did a, um, a talk that I have on my YouTube, on Popcom YouTube about the crowdfunding experience. I think I'm going to even do a online course because there's just so many things that you don't learn until you get into it and I feel like I have the formula down that's repeatable mm -hmm. for other people to do because yes I did have a lot of media I, but you know to raise 2.3 million dollars um then a lot of people didn't hear from never heard of me before so it was really my media strategy it was really my you know my advertising strategy that I that I used it was it was I have a formula that I think is can work I think you are such a pioneer in it that it, people weren't even ready for it yet. People like yourself, um, people like Fred from Pigeonly, y'all did it early. Mm -hmm. um, where, where I just, uh, people, the, the, the audience, the crowd, they weren't ready yet. I think if you came back again, you know, you would definitely see a change because investors are more familiar and educated now um, and have heard of something being crowdfunded than right. you did it when it just was like, what? What, what is this? You know, so it is a lot of education for sure. Um, and people, um, they ask some really crazy questions all the time. It's still, but it's like having some, having them questions already answered is, is helpful. Yeah. And, and I'll still maintain, I'm sure you felt this as well from your experience. 
you know, what's cool about equity, online equity crowdfunding is that, you know, any, first of all, any investor that invests in your company usually is going to be very high on your company, right? They want to top tout it at events they're at. They want to mention to their peers, they just invested in this cool company in the vending solution space, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when you have now a tribe of 50, 100, 300 people who invest, <laughs> right? Like all of a sudden you have a tribe of diehards effectively yeah, for your 4, business. That have put in anywhere from a hundred dollars to all the way to tens of thousands, if not yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, and with online equity crowdfunding, like we ended up earning hundreds of now like deep believers in the business. Yes. So when I send those investor updates, they care. They, it yes. matters to them. Um, and that's why I think, you know, you want that kind of allegiance to your business as you grow it, because it is so hard. You know, we talk often about the best, the best, um, you know, of the best feeling a founder gets. And it's usually like, hey, I, I use your product and it helped me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's usually like I invested in your product and I'm such a deep believer in what you're doing. Those yeah. kind of things, when a founder hears them, they're invaluable. Like they are so important. So I, I just highlight from that vantage point too, why it's so important to think about this route because it's difficult, but realize it's not luck. Like Dawn said, it's six months six months in planning to then do something that lasts three to maybe three to six months right so but if you the, do it right three to six weeks you know facts, you know, facts. yeah um, and but, but still the reason why i highlight that is you know at the end of the day I, I still want us to be mindful of like i think especially in the black community this idea of exceptionalism like dawn is obviously and i'm not saying this is just to pat your back but dawn is a very great entrepreneur and and realistically you paint her with a different brush and make her a man she's raised hundreds of millions of dollars with her tenacity so that being the case it's so important to highlight too like and i say this a lot like i work as hard as i do so mediocre black folks can win too like that's that's the mindset because on the other side of the coin mediocre white folks win a lot and i think that you know we're seeing a change in things with what's been happening with george floyd and countless other situations to get us to this bubbling point but i i, I appreciate that there's a change it frustrates me though in this process that that change is to your point earlier dawn oh my gosh i didn't realize you know you know systemic racism has existed in this country for 400 years to me, that's very disingenuous, yeah. uh, disingenuous. But what I will, will say now is, look, there is a piece that of us that's all opt into this this contract, as Trevor Noah would put it. And the reality is, for a lot of our businesses, the reason why I really love online equity crowdfunding is that that uh, you mentioned earlier the idea of retaining all your voting rights. It is extremely difficult to do that if you're out raising VC if yeah. you're outraising from angel investors but when you can control the way you're raising capital that really 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 affects your control over your business period yeah. um and so I, i'd highlight that as well and things to think about when thinking about that and we already touched on the prepping for launch um you know this is kind of the last topic i had was keeping the momentum high but for you don you know as you think about you had six months of pre-prep for the first time around you're doing this process for several months how you know it's it's exhausting especially for the founder because you're still building product you're still running your team in terms of leading them so you know but the other part of this is you are doing amas right you are meeting with um you know press outlets and doing interviews you you are still looking at the number like are we trajecting at the right pace to get this done in this time how did you manage time and also too how did you keep the momentum high in raising both of these rounds of funding 
definitely pre-planning and engaging my team and involving my team. And, um, you know, I don't just want to say our first round, we were all the way out of runway. We didn't have any money. So we had to really, you know, hit the pavement. Um, I did a lot of things that are free, like posting on, you know, social media, writing blogs, um, working with micro influencers. Like I don't turn down interviews. So I'll interview with the breakfast club and I'll interview with, you know, a, a podcast with 50 listeners, you know, so people always are reaching out to me and I just, I was lining up, I was lining up interviews for all around the timing that I knew I was going to launch. So everybody reach out, oh, I'm starting a blog, I'm starting a podcast. I never am too big for any type of request. I do it all. So it's flooding the keyword searches with Don Dixon, wherever it comes from. And so I kind of timed that out. And, and you really have to see the value of micro-influencers, small bloggers, small podcasters, because if because they have a very captive and loyal audience and, and the people trust them because they're not some massive celebrity. So if somebody, if you are a podcaster with a hundred listeners, they love you and they're going to be doing what you say. And so I would just go after those people and do my reach outs. I would, um, again, I didn't have any money. I would go to help a reporter out, hey, Ro, and I would just contribute as much as possible, um, you know, to, to anything in the media to get my name out there. Because when people, I knew that eventually they would see me and Google me, what is this Don Dixon girl about? And then I want all the things to show up. So you really have to think ahead of time about like populating content. And these are all things you can do for free. It's a lot of work. But, you know, I had to allocate that time. I was working more hours. And, and then also, I'm a marketer. Like, that is actually my thing. Um, I'm, someone asked, and I'll address this in a little bit, like, you know, I am a technical person. I went to school for IT, but I'm really a marketer. Mm -hmm. And so I, the technical people are on my team, and I really was, um, I dr drive that, the marketing efforts, and I know how to, you know, reach people online. And so, and what I couldn't do, I, I brought in somebody to, to help out with, but we did a lot of planning. I really approached this like, um, you know, I didn't, I, I never seen anybody do crowdfunding the way that I did the way that I did with the media, you know, with social, with the social media, giving them posts. Like, like you said, people want to be proud. I was sending them things like here, proud popcorn investor post that I was doing updates every $10,000 that we raised, you know, doing a song to go with it. I was being just really active where you couldn't not see us, you know? And so I think having a strong, which again, buffer is free, you know, putting content out about your industry. So it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but you're going to do a lot of work either way. Everything's mm -hmm. a lot of work. Raising the money from VC is a lot of work. Everything in this whole thing is a lot of work. And so people that are like, there's no easy way out, you know, but it's like, um, everything can, everything can, can work. Um, my team member this time around, I trained someone on my team to take over social media. And once you go like kind of viral, like we did, it's constant engagement. Mm -hmm. It's constant engagement. And, you know, you have to be built for it, of course, because, you know, people want to engage with you, talk to you, say comments, but we spread it out across the marketers on the team. Um, and it did well. It's just a lot of pre-planning. I, I wrote a blog about it. You can, it's on Afrotech. You can just Google like Don Dixon Afrotech. I don't have the link, but I wrote, I raised a million dollars in crowdfunding and so can you. And I really gave you the 10 steps and it's good. And I'm going to build my course off of this, but it's 10, 10 steps that you need for crowdfunding and things you need to be doing right now. 
now. Even if you don't know when you're going to raise money, start now. Um, because eventually you will, you will. And even if you never do, you have created a whole presence for yourself online that is going to help with customers of nothing else. Yeah. And, and another thing I'd add too, like, you know, someone asked about a sole proprietor and switching to LLC. I think, you know, I want to highlight a tool. Um, Upwork.com is super helpful. U-P-W-O-R-K.com. Because as a, as a sole proprietor, as a CEO, when it's a, one, a company of one, you're not going to know everything. That's okay. You're going to try your best to learn as much as you can. And that's going to be an, a forever process. You're always going to be learning. You have to be addicted to learning. That yeah. being said, though, there are already professionals. And I think I wish in, in college, I wish as a, a just younger me, new kind of the nuance in consulting in the beginning i thought a consultant was simply someone who tells you how to do something and then you go and actually have to do it what i've learned in that process is that's not necessarily always the case like companies will hire consultants who de fact are de facto team members for them yes um companies will hire consultants who will just do a project for them deliver the project and now you have this tangible thing this item this resource so when you're thinking about financial modeling, you don't have to be this financial wizard in the beginning. Yeah. Hire a financial modeler off of Upwork, spend some time with them on the phone to go through how they're arriving at their numbers and learn the story behind the numbers. Learn the story behind how you go about marketing something. You're not gonna capture all of it in day one and get everything from their brain and yours, but the more and more you understand the lingo, the, how the vernacular or how they're speaking, the more and more you understand how they're looking at things, is, is extremely important. And, I, you know, one of my board members and a, and, a, and a great friend of mine, a mentor of mine as well, I would spend tons of time tracking through New York City in the brutal cold of winter to go to his crib to pitch him our business. I'd pitch the business, mm -hmm. then I'd switch over after about 20 minutes and I'd pitch our financials. And he would rake me over the coals every single time. His, the reason for it was I had to learn how to tell the story of our business realize numbers only matter when you can tell the story yeah. tied to the numbers. Yeah. So you have to point out what is this operational expense tied to? Why is it growing at that rate? Who are you hiring to increase that, yeah. that amount that you're spending? You know, how does your revenue line increase? And, and what are the key factors that must happen for you to go from a million in revenue to 5 million to 10 million and beyond? The more you get good at pointing out four or five key numbers and then telling that story, that's all anybody can actually stomach in terms of listening and digesting information. As smart as investors are, you have to tell them what your key performance indicators are. They don't, unless they've done business in your space a million times and they know generally what they would be, oftentimes you are the one telling them what makes your business important and how to measure its impact over time. So I just highlight those things because I think they're very important to know as you all endeavor on starting your businesses and or as you guys continue to build the businesses you guys already have, um, but be thinking about that. Um, Don, for you, what, what piece of advice would you give folks today? So if they're starting their, their business, it is June 18th, 2020, um, starting their business from home, what are some of the first two or three steps people should be thinking about in that process? Um, how are you going to make money? Who are your customers? I mean, before you even go and incorporate something, write it down. Like, what is the industry you're getting into? What other players exist in that space, competitors or even similar businesses or even businesses in the industry? Um, how, how are you gonna make money? How are you gonna get customers? And then how far do you wanna take this? How big is this industry? You know, if it's a side hustle and you wanna make a couple, couple thousand dollars extra a month, okay, 
That's what you got to figure out. And then you set up your company according to that. People have been asking questions about LLCs and sole proprietors and C-Corps. And mm. I'm not a lawyer. I can't give legal advice. But what you, how you set up your business is what you're, how you're going to grow it, how you're going to capitalize it, and how you're going to tax it. So all those things, you need to understand that before you even do anything else is what is what are you selling? Can you make money? Can you scale it? How big can it get? Everything else comes after that. That's when you decide, okay, how do I incorporate this? What is this going to look like? You know, if, if you want to raise venture capital or institutional capital or large amounts of capital, they're going to always say they want you to be a C-Corp. Yes, there are exceptions, but they're going to say that. So that's what you're thinking. Be ready. If it's going to be just you and a few partners or if you, you know, liability things, think about that. And there's articles you can read and really understand that. Then, then you go from there. Then you Go and get your EIN number and set it up. And then, you know, start at the same time getting your product out there, getting some early customers, um, getting people to try it out, test it. Uh, do I did a lot of research, market research. I did surveys. When I started Flat Out of Heels on my Facebook, I said, I just want to get 100 people to respond to this question. I'm thinking about starting this business. Just can you just take two minutes and answer this survey for me to learn? How much would you pay for shoes like this? Do you, do you even experience this problem? And I'm like, okay, if I, out of 100, test case um if you know enough percent for me 80 percent if they say they want this business out of 100 i could say it's 10,000 80 percent and that's a business a million if 80 percent you know i'll just try to figure out can i make money from this that's the first thing to do if you want to be a side hustle at, at home making cupcakes or candles or body butter or shake still figure out what you want to do mm -hmm. with it because then you get into your margins which i did not understand I'm like, okay, I'm going to sell shoes for $20. I'm going to get them made for $2. I'm about to make $18. No, you're not. You've got to factor in the shipping, the marketing, everything in these operators. So then understand, can you really make money from this? Is it right. going to make sense for you? What do you need to sell it for? Where it's going to be profitable and make sense for you? So the numbers, again, are the most critical part. And the market is the most critical part of any business in general. That's my advice. And and I want you to talk a little bit about purchase orders too, because I think there's this idea like you know I made it into Walmart, I'm rich now, or you know or this company's gonna buy from me, I'm rich. A lot of times you're you're getting as an income, you're talking about net thirty, so post thirty days of the this the, the the product going live or whatever the case is, whatever the deal was, net sixty, net ninety, it's just the number of days. You know, a lot of times you get your product into a Trader Joe's or what have you. You you have to be mindful of how soon a lot of these companies pay you your yeah. money um, and this is a reputation thing you know so be mindful of these questions ask the right questions research the industries research if you're gonna have your product go offshore how much will it cost to then bring that to America um, yeah. these are all things that you, you don't just know you have there to do the, the research and import and export and yep. all these things cost and I did not know I also learned another hard lesson about if you manufacture something anywhere you manufacture that it needs to say manufactured there it needs to be on your packaging so i was making shoes and importing them into the united states from china and nowhere did it say made in china until <laughs> customs held up my shipment like excuse me nothing says made in china on these boxes these soles these shoes these bags i was like oh i did not know that mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you for telling me give me my stuff please right so you know you learn a lot of things along the way and it's important to research it in, in advance and um, be, be realistic. You know, I didn't understand that what it took to get into big retailers, but they have a thing called buybacks. Not only do they have these crazy net payment terms, but if they don't sell it all, you got to buy it back. You got to give that money back. 
a lot of times. That's why, you know, Flat Out didn't make it to the shelves of CVS's and Target's because I got an opportunity, but I was like, wow, the scale that I have to be at, we're just not there. We, we cannot, you know, there's also a lot of times like a, um, a shelving fee, you know, brands will pay $100,000 to be on the shelf at a store just to be on the shelf. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really it's a, it's it's a game you gotta know the game and you have to have you know? certain kind of barcodes you have to be registered with a barcode system and sometimes buying new barcodes are so expensive thousands and thousands of dollars to buy a barcode because every barcode on every product in, in, the, in the stores have to be unique and mm-hmm. so it's all registered under a master barcode system yeah. that's expensive you know what? understand understand and you know we're talking about the external right now in terms of customers and that process but also internally right like i think in new york state the law is once you're at two employees you need to have workers compensation if you don't they will slam you with a massive fine um and every state wants their taxes so all the you need counsel you need a lawyer to understand the nuances of tax laws in different states i don't we don't say this stuff to scare anybody i'm a big believer in growing organically i i i I won't go far as promising you but i will say most times once you start running against a certain wall you can figure out how to get past that wall that's the lesson right that's the the organic growth part but as much as you can fill your head with the information up front definitely do it while also realizing a, a big part of business a big part of investment is from your gut is from your passion um, and you tie that into the logical part of it in terms of numbers, monthly recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue, those growth rate numbers become your Bible that you follow with your business because the only way you can actually measure is it actually effective, is it actually impactful long-term. Um, as we wrap today though, and let me share my screen back. Um, I just wanna to touch on a few things as we close up here. Can you guys see my screen? Don, you're my person. Can you you guys see it? Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, So just to wrap up, um, you know, WIL, we are hiring. We're always looking for full stack engineers at this current time. um, And those opportunities will be full time. Um, Email us at letstalk at WIL.co. Make sure you go online and review your landlord at WIL.co. Stay tuned. Our app launch is coming soon. So we will have a lot more to say on that. Um, Subscribe to our podcast. We're on the WIL Take Ownership podcast. Um, I will get into the crux of what it all is about. But remember, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. So make sure to check us out. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking about scaling from your couch. How do you scale and continue to maintain growth? Um, Will Tom, I think, is the perfect person to talk about that from Rec Philly. They are an in-person community. They have this dope artistic space, a creative space in Philadelphia. They've been paused because of COVID, but they have not paused. They've continued to make it happen and continue to create community online for all their members. Um, in the Rec Philly sphere. So catch our conversation next week, June 25th. Um, again, Dawn, where can people find you actually before we wrap up today? I got that all in there just now. I was ahead of the curve for you. <laughs> Look in the chat. All of my social media is there. Also check out my campaign. You can um, just read about what we've been doing. Our, our, our round is oversubscribed, but you can sign up if you're interested for the wait list. Something is in the works. But I just appreciate being here and talking to you. And I know it was deep, you know, but trust me, you guys are getting some gems that we never got. And I went through Techstars and I never got this type of level of information. So I, I definitely hope that you found it valuable. And thank you all for just supporting OFO and Who's Your Landlord. They are dope. So everything he asked you to do, please do it. Review your landlord, support, and, you know, let's, let's blow this business up, you know, let's,
Let's continue to support each other. Let's, let's do that. Um, uh, let, me, let me get this right. This, here it goes. WIL.CEO, you can catch us there. Um, and then, too, you know, I will do this. I'll drop my, my email in the chat if anybody wants to connect afterward as well. Dawn, thank you so much for coming through, for, for showing us. love, for giving your insights. They are worth millions and more. They are invaluable. Um, thank, you. thank you all for tuning in today. Um, again, uh, for WYL, for the WYL Take Ownership Podcast, remember the WYL Take Ownership Podcast is all about taking ownership of your mental, your economics, and your community. We made community tonight. We'll continue to do so. Catch us for our last episode of our series next week, the General Assembly and Will Toms. Take care, y'all. Peace.